On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it's Monday and we're all a little COVID-weary this week. But there's one group among us whose nerves are a little more frayed than usual, and that's parents. So what does another week of school mean for your kids in the time of COVID? Well, today, the Indo Daily puts its thinking cap on and studies the current chaos in our classrooms from confusion over keeping kids at home, the ever-changing goalposts on antigen tests and how it's affecting our kids. I'm Siobhan Maguire and to help me with my homework I'm joined by Irish Independence Catherine Donnelly, the Education Editor and Liz Carney, the Features Editor and Confused Mother of Two. Catherine Donnelly, Education Editor, the Irish Independent. What is the test to stay approach being introduced into primary schools? Well, Siobhan, if you recall, there was a test and contact trace system in schools, in primary schools, up until the end of September throughout last year and up until the end of the first month of this term. And under that system, if a child tested positive, the other pupils who were deemed to be close contacts automatically stayed at home for 10 days regardless of whether they had symptoms. And that was hugely disruptive to their education. And that was the reason the government put forward for ending that system. Schools were very upset when that system ended and they asked that to be continued. Um, But it finished on September 27th. What we have now in primary schools is an anti rapid antigen testing system, which we're calling a test to stay. And the, the way that will operate is if a child within a classroom pod, that typically might be six, six uh, children, if a child in that group tests positive, the other children uh, will be deemed close contacts and they will, uh, their parents will be asked to do antigen tests on them at home. But crucially, they will stay in school unless and until they develop symptoms or test positive. So that's one big difference between the the previous system and the the new system. So the idea is to try to maximise tuition time rather than this blanket go home and stay at home for 10 days until we know you're definitely clear. And of course, we have a whole week before this comes into effect. It's the 29th of November. We do, yes. And more guidance will uh, go out to schools and to parents. And I think there's going to be a big publicity campaign for parents as well, just to, but I suppose to really drive home the message that in the first instance, children shouldn't go into school if they have symptoms. That's the first, that's the first and most important message. Um, And the second one then I think will be around 
uh, the value of the antigen tests and how to conduct them and, yeah, to offer some reassurance there. Catherine, these uh, tests are going to be free as well, aren't they? They will be free. In this instance, they will be free, yes. And it, by the way, they're also optional. They're, it's not mandatory. So if you're the parent of a child who is in a pod and who is deemed to be a close contact, you will have the option of getting these tests, but you won't be forced to conduct the tests on, on the children. And if you uh, if you choose not to do that, um, your child can still stay in school, um, provided they don't show symptoms. It's been a, a really confusing time for parents over the last 20 months in relation to schools. And of course, any kind of guidance on this issue of antigen testing within schools is to be welcomed. But are the instructions clear enough? Well, the school authorities, the the principals and management bodies are awaiting more details from um, the HSE. And this system is due to be up and running on the 29th of November. So they have a week, the HSE has a week to get that information out and for principals to absorb it. Um, now, it's it, it's a very difficult situation for schools. There's no doubt about it. Even with this, a very difficult situation for schools. And one one another way how this differs from the previous system was that schools are very much left on their own to manage this. Under the previous system at primary level, the HSE, public health teams were involved. You know, if, if, if a case occurred in the school, public health teams uh, became involved. That's still happening at, at post-primary level here. But under the antigen testing scheme, which is for primary schools, it, it will be between the principals and the parents. Even as you explain it to me, and you are an education expert, you know, I'm still scratching my head. I mean, the guide, the HSE guidance is written in black and white and schools will get more detailed guidance uh, as the week goes on. But nonetheless, the, the different positions that apply, as you know, as to whether a child is a school-based contact or a household contact will, I'm sure, uh, cause confusion in schools. So, uh, and for parents. So it's a very challenging times ahead. This is, I mean, people are, you know, the, the education system is welcoming this as another layer of protection. Uh, they were seeking it when they would prefer, I think, to be back to the old system they had in primary schools up to the end of September, where public health teams were directly involved. Um, and that took some of the burden off principals, who, by the way, are also trying to manage everything else that's going on in the school, you know, and including teachers being out sick because of COVID or isolating because they have symptoms or, you know, waking up this morning with a, with a sniffle or a cough and thinking, well, I shouldn't go in and they may not have COVID. So that is causing other problems for schools and for principals. So this is another burden, if you like, on principals. And it's a real talking point at the moment, um, Catherine, uh, you know, the the all of Europe seems to be in the grips now of this fourth wave of um, COVID. But this week here in Ireland, I mean, we've 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 seen uh, firsthand from schools how difficult it is to find substitute teachers if any of the teaching staff um, are sick or need to isolate, stay at home for whatever reason. A, a school in Meath, for example, just said they, they simply can't get the staff. Well, what's happening is that staff absenteeism levels are unusually high for this time of the year. It's always an issue and schools will all, you know, traditionally, they've, you know, there, there have been problems, there have been pinch points during the year and there have been cases where schools said there just aren't enough subs on the ground to cover. That's always been the case. But what's happening now is the absenteeism levels are so high 
um, it's very difficult to find subs to cover all of them. New measures were announced about a month ago to improve the supply of substitute teachers. Um, and it may have it may have delivered more subs into the system. But the level of of absenteeism seems to be running ahead of what's available. So you might have you might have schools where three or four or five teachers are out or maybe more. And um, they simply can't find uh, the subs to cover all those all those absences. So as I say, there's a variety of reasons. I mean, there'd be ordinary illness. There would be teachers taking the advice to stay at home if they have if they have symptoms, and that's very strong advice. Don't go to school if you have symptoms. Um, and then this new the, the what was announced the other day in terms of household contacts and this five day rule. Um, if you're a household close contact, to stay at home as well for five days and to conduct your antigen tests. So it is increasing the pressure on schools in terms of the supply of their own teachers. And then if they don't turn up, if they're not in, can they source a sub to cover multiple absences? It's not just one teacher out sick, it's multiple teachers. You know, in many cases, multiple teachers out sick or are out for one reason or another. What are you hearing from your own um, contacts, Catherine, uh, in the education sector? Um, uh, you know, as we kind of face into a, a winter of discontent, what what are you hearing now in terms of, of how to cope with all of this? I don't, I mean, they're all finding it very, cha- as we know, parents and schools are finding it very challenging and they're managing, everybody's trying to just get through on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week basis. Um and the government and HSE, the chief medical officer, has said we're very challenging days ahead, we, that we haven't reached the peak of this fourth wave yet. So that obviously has people worried as to, you know, how much worse can it get? But what we already know, like we're we're almost two years into this, and what we already know is that the, the pupils, you know, primary and second level pupils have already lost considerable amount of time in school. Like in spring 2020, they were out of school overnight and they pivoted to remote learning. And the experience there was very patchy, obviously. No, we, well, we had no tradition of it. And um, it, a lot depended on you know, how well a school was equipped in terms of its um, digital sort of capacity uh, and, you know, how good your broadband coverage was. Um, and then there was a further period out of school earlier this year after Christmas, um, after Christmas 2020. Uh, there was a further period out of school for all pupils and that did cause further damage. And apart from that, then you have what's the ongoing thing where pupils are missing school or teachers are missing school because of um, because either they're taking advice not to go in because they have symptoms or because indeed they have COVID and, and they're out. There's no doubt there has been a huge disruption to children's education. And anecdotally, schools, teachers, principals will tell you that they're seeing they're seeing the, um, the, the sort of detrimental impact on a pupil's learning. There's no doubt. I spoke to somebody in a second level school recently who was t- commenting on, on the f- their first year intake this year and they could see in areas, you know, around maths, you know, some of the basic skills that the students should have. These are students who would have come in from a variety of schools as they do in any second level school, that some of the basic skills they would expect them to have coming into first year that they weren't there or there were there was widespread evidence that that the, the, the pupils didn't have it so it's it's very challenging yeah and we've yet to see what the long-term impact on on education you know and learning will be and of course that won't be only in Ireland that'll be internationally Liz Carney features editor at the Irish Independent and mother of 
two young boys. Uh, what is it like to be uh, a parent in this time of chaos and confusion where the classroom is concerned? It's as you just described it, it's really confusing, it's very chaotic and it's very alarming. It just feels like Groundhog Day. It feels like we're back in the worst sort of mode, lockdown mode that we were in maybe last year. As you said, Siobhan, we have two little boys, one in junior infants, one in second class in our local primary school. And Wednesday morning, we got up, the older one had the sniffles, you know, he had a cold, bit of a head cold and a bit of a temperature. And we thought, OK, we'll keep him home from school. And to be on the safe side, we'll bring him for a COVID test. Then we brought our junior infant to school because I suppose as a parent, we, as parents, we didn't realise that maybe we shouldn't have done that. And we were asked then to bring him home again, because as a sibling of a child who was going for a test, he also couldn't be in school. Now, that's something I put my hands up. I hadn't understood that. So that's fine. We brought them home. We live in Wicklow. We couldn't get a test at all in Wicklow or anywhere in Dublin. So we had to wait until yesterday for the test. That test happened at about 12 o'clock. This is the PCR test for uh, our seven-year-old. Happened about midday yesterday. We're still waiting on the results of that test. I suppose possibly they'll come through at some stage today. But the upshot of all of that is that we've had two little boys at home Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, it really feels like Groundhog Day. It just feels like what we went through last year. We've had them at home. We've been trying to do a little bit with them, a little bit of maybe schoolwork. We haven't, we haven't managed it really. We're both working at home. We're trying to. We're lucky that we have a childminder who comes, comes to us and helps us out in the afternoon. But I'm thinking of all the other parents around the country this week who are in a similar situation. But for them, it might be much worse if they are working. We're looking in that we can work from home. There's loads of parents out there who need to be, whether it be in the office or somewhere else, you know, if you're a nurse or a guard or a doctor, any of those things, you can't work from your house. So the knock-on effects, if your children are home from school, the knock-on effects on the rest of society are huge there. It's really difficult for parents. And can I just ask you, Liz, let, let's let's say now, you know, the, the two kids uh, are, are back to school today, Monday. Um, talk me through what kind of uh, a day that is, the anxieties, the worry. Is it, is it, oh God, are the school going to call me now and tell me that some kid in their pod isn't feeling well and how that will have a knock-on effect on your family? And we've had those calls. Like we would have had contact from the school last week and in the junior infants class, there had been a confirmed case. Now that last week that was considered that that was okay, that the the other kids could just stay in the class unless they would start to show symptoms. But I think there has been so many changing guidelines around that, that it looks now as if, you know, you wouldn't know a few weeks down the line that if there's a few more cases within the school, that that wouldn't mean that one whole class might be sent home. That even, you know, we've heard from different schools around the country this week that that is on the cards for some schools. And we also know that the teachers are, you know, so many of the teachers are are out, whether it be that they are, have got COVID or they're waiting on tests or they're close contact. And that's having a huge knock on effect on the schools as well. And I have such sympathy for the principals trying to manage these situations. They're trying to keep their school communities safe. They're trying to keep the children safe. They're trying to look after the welfare of their teachers. And they're trying to manage, you know, uh, the complexities of the classroom, the normal complexities of the classroom. I mean, it, it must be such a difficult job. But certainly for parents, I mean, 
this it's the first time this we started out September and I was thinking oh well thankfully all those lockdowns are behind us you know so many people are vaccinated now 94% of the population is vaccinated that must mean that if anything uh, you know at least the schools will be normal this year and I think now we're in a situation where we're facing into a winter where there could be all kinds of disruption so it is really it's it's um it's a real pity you know I think most parents might have hoped that this was behind, this was behind us and I think now we probably realize that it isn't because that's the thing isn't it um Liz I mean children um will be feeling that they're kind of missing out on on something whether it's it's kind of you know the various stages of the last 20 months where you know kids suddenly have to try and get their heads around a pandemic get their heads around not going into school get their heads around homeschooling get their heads around not being able to see their friends or grandparents and now 20 months on there's that aspect of um how they're education is being affected so when when my seven-year-old had to stay home this week the first thing he said to me was that they were studying a particular math thing at school and he was really worried that he was going to miss out on what the teacher was telling them about these maths problems and he was worried himself you know that he was going to fall behind and I think that's the problem as they get older they get more aware of what they might be missing. And particularly when it's the case that the other class, you know, the other kids are in classroom and class is going on as normal. So he was concerned about that. And like from a parent's point of view, not a huge amount you can do to address that. I mean, we could we did a little bit of maths at home with him on the on the iPad, but I'm not sure what they're doing in class. And I can't, you know, that the teachers are brilliant and I can't replicate that at home, you know? So, and then from the, from our younger son's point of view, he's just started junior infants and he has already, you know, it has been, he would, COVID started when he was in his first year of preschool. So he missed a huge amount of preschool. So I would say starting junior infants for him was actually quite hard anyway. You know, he was far more used to being at home. So we were only just getting him into a routine of going to school every day and kind of this idea that no school is every day and you have to go Monday to Friday and you have to go, it's not optional. And then he was taken out of school this week and he really didn't understand why he was being taken out of school. And he's too young to really grasp that, you know. So, you know, I think, and then having to resettle him back in after the routine has been broken, that's really hard, you know? So it really, depending, I mean, the older they get, the more they're missing academically, but the younger ones, I think, you know, they miss out on that sort of socialization aspect and that sort of routine that school provides. And it's really difficult for them. And that confusion for kids, Liz, isn't helped by the fact that the information being fed to parents is equally as confusing. I mean, this week, um, you know, we're, we're looking ahead to next week and these antigen tests in schools. But uh, last week, for example, we would have had uh, parents being told, well, you know, uh, uh, curtail the play dates. Um, it's, it's, it's changing all the time, isn't it? It's changing all the time. And certainly speaking to other parents that I know who have children in different schools, different schools seem to be handling it in slightly different ways. And maybe people are interpreting guidelines in slightly different ways. And I think there is a huge amount of confusion for the schools and for the parents. And everybody's doing their best and everybody's doing their best to keep everybody around them safe. But it is getting harder and harder, I think. Um, You know, when... There's so many different factors at play now. You know, do you, I suppose you're in a position where if the, if you if you have a kid who has any symptoms at all, 
sniffles or head cold or, you know, an upset stomach or a slight temperature. The list of symptoms that you are potential COVID systems uh, symptoms are is extremely long. So if you have a child who has any one of those symptoms, you're then in a position where you're thinking, okay, do they need a PCR test or is it just something else, which it could so easily be because there's so many different things that kids get when they're small, you know. And we know, Liz, it's difficult to get PCR tests at the moment. And getting harder. I mean, I as I said to you, we waited 24 hours for a PCR test. I think we were probably, in hindsight, we were probably quite lucky to get the test within a day. Um, the, the PCR tests are getting more and more difficult to access. I would know of one, at least one parent this week who told me that, well, they just went and they got a PCR test privately. And really, I guess that makes a lot of sense if you can pay... I think she told me she paid maybe 60 euros for her PCR test, but it meant that she had a result that day and she could send her child to school the following day, which I think if you're looking at potentially a week off for, you know, not just one child, but all of the siblings too, it, it, it seems like it might be worth it, you know? So that is going to be a big problem unless they can um, increase the capacity for PCR testing. That is going to be a bigger, a bigger growing problem for parents. Liz, parenting in the time of COVID really does sound like parenting plus. There's a hell of a lot more you have to take on on top of all the normal duties, isn't there? There really is. And I think when I look back to the start of COVID, like we we normalised what wasn't normal very quickly. You know, we normalised all this hand sanitising for the, for the whole family and we normalised keeping your distance from grandparents, which initially was heartbreaking, but then we got really kind of used to it. That was just what we did. We stood outside the window and waved to grandparents and celebrated birthdays that way. And the kids just got used to that. They just thought that, that was normal. And we also, I think, uh, as a family, we certainly did, and I'm sure other families did too, we kind of looked on the positives of it. You know, we'd maybe more time at home with our kids and we had, you know, they had more time to just be themselves instead of being kind of thrust into the world of learning and kind of having to do and, and, and be out there all the time. But I think when you... L- the longer it goes on, the more you think, okay, that's all fine. We needed to normalize those things. But in the long run, what kind of effect is that going to have on our kids? What is it going to do to their anxiety levels in the long term? What is it going to do to their social skills in the long term? What is it going to do to their ability to relate to other people in the long term if really they've had to sort of be very, you know, confined to small groups, whether it be families or, you know, small groups of family and friends? It has been a very strange experience for them. And that is their childhood. Like my little five-year-old, he went to a birthday party last week. It was the first birthday party he'd ever been to. He's never had his own birthday party. But by the time his older, you know, his older brother was the same age as he is now, he'd been to loads of birthday parties and loads of play dates because that was his life. That was pre-COVID. It was all normal. Whereas the, the younger kids haven't had that. I don't know, do they notice, do they care? It's hard to tell that they're so small, but like certainly as a parent, you do feel that they have missed out on a huge amount of the normal, nice things about childhood. And that was Liz Carney, Features Editor in The Irish Independent. I'm Siobhan Maguire, and today's episode was presented and produced by myself, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from independent.ie, News Talk and RTE. You can listen to the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>